My name is Tony. I lead this college ministry here called Soul Company. Uh, let me just address the very, very obvious thing, okay? We will get more seats, okay? So come back next week. We will go to Home Depot like tonight. So we'll make it work. Thanks for showing up. I know I don't like sitting on no cold floor either. So I get it. I get if you're mad, but we will get more seats and some like more Chick-fil-A. I don't know. Anyways, it is good to be here with you guys. Um, thanks for coming. Hope last weekend was like the best weekend ever. Uh, shout outs to Cade and Caden for taking the dub and spike ball. Come on. You guys killed it. Uh, our boy Jonathan was in a Sasquatch costume and he was so fast. Like if you see him, his name's Jonathan Moen. He's one of our student leaders. You got to give him props for that. Uh, we did a dunk contest which I was like personally attacked by because you guys were like that good. I was like, what are you, practice in your backyard all day? Like, what are you doing? And it was great. We loved it. It has been so, so fun. But thanks for being here, guys. It's an honor to be here with you guys. My name is Tony. Uh, I lead this college ministry, and we are so excited that God would use this group of people to hopefully impact and reach the campuses in St. Paul and renew the city. We're really, really excited about that. And here's what we value here at Salt Company. We value loving Jesus and loving people. So we worship, we preach the Bible, and we do community all year long. So we'll be back here Thursdays at 8 p.m. We want to see you guys here. I'm really, really excited about this year. So I had this moment the other day where I realized that I'm, like, addicted to water, okay? So I don't know if you like this. I used to carry on a gallon jug. I don't anymore because it's socially awkward. <laughs> Unless your name is Parker. Shout-outs to Parker. Where's your gallon? There you go. He's got it. Come on. Uh, so Parker's a football player. He, like, actually needs that water. I have no reason, okay? So I just used to carry that thing around. Like, I thought it was cool. It was bad. Uh, I realized I was addicted to water because I, like, can't live without it, okay? So the other day, I forgot my water bottle at home, and I thought everything was, like, collapsing in my life. I was like, can I last two hours without water? And the answer was like, no. I, like, really can't, and it was brutal. Uh, I have this bad relationship with coffee shops where I'll go once, and if they don't have a water spot, I'm never going again. Seriously, I've done this one time. I bought coffee for $2.95, and then I got six refills of my water bottle. And I swear the barista was like, what are you doing? And I would just not even make eye contact. I was out of shame. So that happens on a day-to-day -day basis in my life. But I'm addicted to water, and here's why. It's because without it, I can't live. Okay. Here's why I tell you that stupid story. Is we're all addicted to something. And whatever that thing is, is something that you can't live without. Whether it's a couple days or a couple hours or a couple moments, without that hit, you can't live. And I, I don't know your story, and I don't know what you walked in here with, which, by the way, whatever story you do have, you are absolutely welcomed here at Salt Company. We are so thankful you're here. But all of us are addicted to something. And, and here's the reality is our world is fundamentally built on this, okay? We live in a world, a capitalistic society, that has built this empire on making sure that you need something more to stay alive. So whatever that thing is, whether it's getting some dopamine hits from Instagram, which, by the way, Instagram wants your likes, actually. Whether it's being the biggest and most athletic guy in the room, whether it's kind of climbing the ladder socially, whatever it is, our world has built this idea of without this, you can't live. It's built a world of addiction. And here's the problem with being addicted to water. My body needs more and more water to keep it hydrated over time. And it's never enough because every morning I wake up dehydrated. And here's the truth, truth with whatever you're addicted to is every morning you will wake up dehydrated and you will need another hit. And here's the reality. As I kind of enter into John 4 tonight, Jesus has a conversation with a woman who is dehydrated and disenchanted about life. And as we look into this text, I want us to see 
that you were made to live. So turn with me to John chapter 4 if you have a Bible. If you don't, that's totally okay. Uh, we can get you one sometime. We would love to give you guys a Bible. I love this story. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 6 as Jesus is in a town called Sikar. Read with me on the screens. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? Ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so before we unpack this text, I want to introduce our series. We are doing a four-week series here at Salt Company every Thursday night at 8 p.m. right back here called The Stories We Tell, where we are going to compare and contrast the stories told to us by the world and the stories told to us by Jesus. And so for us to understand the depth of the story, I want us to kind of dissect the details of the story. Jesus begins this dialogue with a seemingly simple request, give me a drink. But here's what I love about Jesus is he's a relational genius. And through one question, he speaks through three major barriers of that time. And I want to dissect each one of those barriers. The first one was that she was a woman. In that day, women had little to no rights. Men of the first century would pray something to God, something like, hey, God, I'm so thankful I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Women had no rights in that society, and no man would ever talk to her except Jesus did. The second barrier was that she was an ethnic minority. She was a Samaritan who were deeply hated by the Jews as half-breeds, okay? And so at that time, it wasn't about microaggressions or subtle discrimination. That culture was built on ethnocentrism. So you got to imagine with me that she's an ethnic woman who has no rights in her culture, and yet Jesus would go to her. And the third barrier was a social and moral one. Not only was she unaccepted by the Jews, she was also unaccepted by her people. And at that time... She, the normal practice for a woman was to go to the water and the well in the morning in community. And here's why. They lived in the Middle East, so it's freaking hot, man. Like, it was like sometimes triple digits. And they would go to this well, and they would take these really, really heavy, like, jars, and they would fill them up after walking a mile, and they walk back with full jars. They did that in community because it was hot, and they wanted to have friends while they did it. But this woman did it alone at noon, the hottest time of the day, which, by the way, is so hot up here. I don't know if you guys see this. I am straight up sweating. It is such a packed room. <laughs> Give me grace, okay? It's like, I don't know, man. I wore pants because I thought it was going to be cold in here. It's not. Uh, brutal. So I'm just going to s- preach through it. It'll be great. Uh, so she came at the hottest time of the day because this woman was a social outcast. And here's what that means. Is no one in the town wanted to hang. Real talk. They would avoid her in the streets. They would make eye contact with her, and then they would look at her like, oh, you're that woman. I don't want to talk. She was completely outcasted in her society. So not only was she a woman, she was an ethnic minority, and she was a social outcast. But here's what's so beautiful about this text, is that you might be like that woman, where you're showing up and you're like, okay, man, there's, there's three barriers between Jesus and the woman, and there's barriers between me and Jesus. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, man, I've had a hard last couple years. We've all had a really hard last couple years. Or you're thinking to yourself, man, I used to go to church when I was young, but I don't really do that churchy stuff anymore. I haven't read my Bible in months. I don't even have a Bible. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I'm too new to Christianity to to be accepted and loved by God. Or it's a deeper issue. It's an issue of your heart where you're here and you don't actually believe that that loving a God could love you. And so you showed up broken and hurting and achy. And what I'm here to tell you is that no barrier is too large for the king of the universe. And here's what he did. Here's why you can believe that. 
is because Jesus would traverse the space between heaven and earth to come and get you. There are no barriers. So whatever you walked in here with, you are welcomed here. Salt Company is a place of broken people. Trust me, I am so broken. You would not want to know. I am so broken. You are welcomed here. Every single one of you in this room, we're so thankful that you're here and you are not too new to understand the beauty of the gospel. This woman wasn't someone that Jesus was supposed to talk to. And you might not think that you're someone that Jesus would want to be with, but he does. He's here in this room and he wants to be in relationship with you. So as we look to verse 9, we see that she was shocked by Jesus, that a man, specifically a Jewish man, and even more surprisingly a respected rabbi, which just means teacher of the day, okay? He knew his stuff, like Bible memorized. He was a stud. Teacher of the day would approach her, but not with disdain and judgmentalism in his voice, but with a dignified question. And, and here's what I want us to see in this, actually, that one of the most beautiful and radical insights of this conversation between Jesus and this woman is that he didn't just shock the woman, he shocked the world. And here's what I mean by that. Is Jesus Christ single-handedly changed the landscape of human dignity and integrity for each individual person. That his life, his teaching, and his vision for humanity so radically transformed his disciples called the church that they begin to spread into society and have conversations with people who are far from them. That no barrier was big enough to, to be between Jesus and this woman. And so they as disciples went and didn't have any barriers between them and other people. And here's what happened. Is that the world began to change. And, and century after century after century, it's something called Christendom. You can look it up. It's basically this idea that the teachings and life of Jesus have radically transformed all of human history and all of society. And to prove it, you can do some research and look back to Aristotle's and Plato's writings. Nowhere in those writings are there any anything about women's rights a multi-ethnic society vision, anything of that nature. Humans having rights and dignity just because they're human beings. That doesn't exist, but Jesus introduces it on the scene. And here's what it did. It changed the world. And so if you're here and you've kind of walked in with Christianity as this oppressive and bigoted vision of religion, here's what I want you to know, is that Jesus Christ fundamentally changed the game for all of human beings and how they react to each other. And because of that, this is personal to me, but because of that, in the early 2000s, as my parents moved to this country with three kids, two suitcases, no money, and no English proficiency, they were met with dignity because 2,000 years ago, Jesus would talk to this woman who was an ethnic minority, who had no money, who was on the margins of society, and he would give her dignity and value and worth, and that completely transformed the social stratas that we live in. So even if you don't know Jesus, Jesus is all around you. This life that we live here on this earth, this vision for what it looks like to have human flourishing was created, initiated, and proved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you're living in Christendom, whether you know it or not. And because of that, I love Jesus. Like, actually. And he's the love of my life. And I think for you, some of you in this room, that might begin tonight. Here's one of my favorite quotes from H.G. Wells, an atheist on the impact of Jesus on human history. I just want to further like, elaborate on this point. I'm going to read it from his perspective. I am a historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. This is an atheist speaking. And he looks at Jesus and understands that he's the focal point of all human history. And so if you don't know that, now you do. 
So why? So why would Jesus do this? Back to the story. Why would Jesus take his time, the intention, and the love to reach out to this woman with so many different barriers? It's because he knew something about that woman that he knows about you. It's because he knew that she was searching for life. And every human being that you know is not living their existing until they find true life. And the reality is, most of us are walking dead. Most of us walk around thinking that the little monetary things will give us satisfaction and give us true life. But if we were completely honest with ourselves, we're struggling with an internal ache, a low-grade depression that nothing in this world can satisfy. And Jesus knew that about the woman, so he approaches her and moves all past all those barriers. And this is what he says in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this is interesting, okay? This is something that Jesus does consistently. He uses metaphors. I'll be honest, when I first came into Christianity, I was super confused. I was like, I have no idea what he's saying. Like he consistently uses metaphors, and this is one of them, where he's using this metaphor about water. So this woman is at the well. He's talking about water, but, but he says something profound. He says, man, it, it's not just physical water that you, you need. You need a spiritual water. See, physical water sustains the body, but you need a water that would sustain your soul. He knew something about this woman, that it, she wasn't just there to get some water. She was there to live, and she couldn't find it in anything else. And then Jesus says this really weird thing in verse 16, okay? Look with me there. This should be a little odd. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus, in his conversations with people, which, by the way, this is the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another person in the entire Bible, he does this thing sometimes where he kind of jukes them, okay? Like, I'll be honest. When you read the Bible, you see that. And, and it seems like, like Jesus is changing the subject, right? Like they were talking about spiritual life, spiritual water, and then now it's her love life. Why is he doing that? Because he's actually not changing the subject. Because the reality is the subject matter is still where life is found, and he's showing her that she's been attempting to find life in relationships. And, and here's the reality about this woman, guys. In the first century, it was very unlikely that this woman divorced other men. So it says five husbands, right? But in that century, she didn't really have the right to do that. So what likely happened is that these men divorced or died on her. And so you can imagine with me, like, that would be weird in our society. If you met someone with five divorces, you'd be like, okay, that's a little bit odd. Imagine with me in her society. She was full of shame. She would have been labeled as damaged goods, someone who couldn't be loved, someone that five men had tried and couldn't do it. That's the type of woman that she would have been labeled as. And because of that shame, she would lead, that would lead to sin. And so the man that she's with is not currently her husband. That is a product of the brokenness of her life. But, but the beauty of that is that, man, a time after time, she tried to find life in the wrong places, and even with that, she left discouraged, but, but you can find life in Jesus. The truth is that all of us have walked in here looking for life in all the wrong places. So I'm super not healthy, okay? Let me just be straight up. I would be healthy except for this thing called McDonald's, okay? So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's a really, really nice restaurant, um, and here's why I, I love McDonald's, man. It's because it's everywhere, okay? So on my way to work, there he is, right? On my way to the gym, oh, I see him again, 1 a.m., he's there for me, okay? So he's like my best friend, and I love McDonald's, and 
Um, here's what really gets me about McDonald's is every time I'm in the drive-thru, sometimes I go to this one that's open after midnight and there's like half the whole city there and I'm like, come on, man. Like I'm just trying to get to McDonald's and I'm thinking to myself, right? I'm like, well, I'm so close. I'm so close. Like I can see the line where you pay and you get your food. And I think to myself, man, you know what would be really good right now? You know what would make me happy? Satisfy me? Remove all my problems? It would be two McChickens with light mayo and an ice cream cone. Like, I'm like, I need it right now. And I'm thinking, I'm so convinced, right? I'm like, oh, once I get that, my life is going to be so good. But, it, but, it, but it's not, right? Like, it's not. Like, it's so bad for you. you uh, this is not an endorsement. Uh, don't eat that stuff. Eat healthy, like Chipotle or something. Uh, but I go, right? I get my meal. I, like, crush the McChickens in, like, 45 seconds. I have my cone. And then I'm incredibly disappointed, like actually, because I, I built this thing up. Look, I'm going to get this, and it's going to solve all my problems, and then it's, it's not. And so what happens to me? I keep going back. Yeah. Tuesday comes around. I'm back there. Thursday, I've had a rough day. I'm back there, right? <laughs> you keep going back to the thing that doesn't actually satisfy your soul. And here's what this woman does. Even though she knows, you know what I'm saying? Like she knows that men won't satisfy her. Yeah but she thinks she doesn't have any other options. So she keeps going back to the well. And the reality is, if you were to really be honest about your story, all of us are keep going back to the well. Whatever it is, you dig that well. Well after well after well. And you've tried for 18, 19, 20, 21 years. And you know it's not going to work, but we keep going back. We're just like a woman but this is the genius of Jesus is he wanted to show her that he knew her source of life and he knew that it was bankrupt that she had been looking for someone to fill her up but instead she was left empty and dry and I love this story I love this story because here's what Jesus does he loves her enough to show her that he knew her not just the three barriers that we talked about her deep soul, what she was longing for, and she knew that she was chasing after life, but walking dead. But this woman, like most of us, this guy's like analyzing your life, you're like, I don't really want this, so look with us at verse 19, she tries to change the, change the subject, that was really hard to get out, wow. The woman said to him, verse 19, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, okay, right? She gets uncomfortable. You meet this guy, stranger, at the watering fountain. Water fountain? <laughs> watering fountain. You meet him at the water fountain. Starts telling you all about your life. You're going to be like, nope, I'm out, right? So she tries to change the subject. She's like, you know, here's what I'm going to get. I, he, I can tell he knows a lot about me, so I'm going to change the subject to worship. But the interesting thing is that Jesus isn't distracted by the subject change, but he actually welcomes it because, again, here's what he does. He change, he, he's identifying that her love is for worship and religion, but not for him. And, and she starts by saying this really interesting thing. This is called cultural relativism. I'm going to do this all year long. I'm just going to nerd out about this stuff. But here's what, here's what she does. She's like, okay, Jesus, your truth is your truth, right? You're a Jew, so you worship in Jerusalem. My truth is my truth. So I'm a Samaritan, so I'm going to worship on this mountain. But what Jesus does is profound. He's like, yeah, don't worry about the spaces that you worship, because actually what matters is your heart. 
So look with me to verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And, and listen, I want to, you know, talk to the church kids for a second, okay? Um, this woman was finding her hope in where she worshiped. Maybe you're here and your entire life you found your hope in where you worship. The right churches, the right theology, the right friend group, and you're like, man, I, I've got it all figured out because I do me, and I know where I am, and it's all about being right in the eyes of others. And here's what Jesus would say to you. That's not worship of him. That's worship of yourself. Yeah. Really easy to look really Christian and do all the right things and be in all the right places, but not actually love the one who brought you there. Wow. Okay? So that's what he would say to you. And what I love about this is that Jesus, like he showed her in her love life, shows her that actually true life can't be found in men or religion, but only in true worship of the Father, okay? In spirit and truth. He takes her relativism, the idea that your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and he shows her objective truth, that there's one truth, and that truth is the worship of the Father, and she cannot find life in any other thing except worshiping him. And you can almost read her frustration in the next verse that she's tried to like kind of deflected Jesus' pursuit. So look with me to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, this might be one of the most important verses in the Bible, so I'm going to pause here and read that again. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And here's what I love about this conversation between Jesus and the woman is that she knows. She's gone back to the drive-thru, right? Five times. Doesn't work. She goes to religion, but she's not even like really sure about that because she's like, okay, you say some things, I say some things. We're kind of questioning, so what's actually the truth? And so then instead, she kind of deflects and she puts her hope in this future Messiah, this future person, because she knows actually that she has a lot of questions about herself and life that she hasn't found answers to. And so she's put her hope in this future person. And, and when I read this text, I kind of thought of it like, man, it's, it's a lot of people in our culture right now. They say stuff like this. Tell me if it, res uh, you know, see if it resonates with you. But because so many people in our culture have questions about themselves and God, they'll say things like, the universe will eventually work it out. I, I, know, I know things will work out for good. Karma's on my side. I know everything happens for a reason. So she, she puts her hope and something that she doesn't know fully. But what I love about Jesus is he just answers every question she has in himself. And this is what he says. He says, the person you're looking for is me. And you can put your hope and your faith in me. And, and here's what's so beautiful about that. In that moment, you can almost hear the, the air leaving her lungs as they're having that conversation, right? They're at the well. She's talking to this random guy who knows everything about her. And then he talks about some living water and where to worship and how the only true worship, the only place you can find life is worship of the Father. And then he says, I'm that guy. And it's almost like in a moment, she realizes that he is her hope. The hope that she's been looking for her entire life, that she doesn't have to go back to the drive-thru anymore because she knows the king. And then this is what happens. She becomes free. And so I'll come in. What I want you to see is that he is her hope, he is her life, and he is your hope, and he is your life. Because you've walked in here with questions. 
And every question you've ever had can be found in the person, teaching, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a really safe place to ask those questions, but he is your hope and he is your life, which means you don't have to go back to the watering well. She doesn't anymore. She, the Bible says she left her water jar, which is just awesome. I like, love that. She's like, don't need it anymore. Boom, boom, boom. She left her water jar. You can leave your water jar, which means here's, what, here's what's true about your life this semester is you actually don't have to go back to the bars and get drunk to be seen because Jesus sees you in this moment and he sees you every day for the rest of your life. And you don't have to pass around your body to be known because Jesus knows you fully. That's the power of knowing who Jesus is, and that's the hope that she's have. And here's what's so beautiful about this. It's all coming. You were made to live. So tonight, run to your maker. He has open arms, and he wants you to come home. So you, are, you have that available tonight. And I just love that this is her testimony. It's just so beautiful because all her life, her story was unlovable. And in a moment, she's changed to love. And then she goes back to her town. And she's like, yo, I was ashamed to even be seen at the watering well with you, but I'm going to bring back the best message in all of human history. You can see all my junk. She's like, yo, this guy knows that I've had five husbands. Like, that's the thing that she was running from. And yet she runs back into the town with the message because she's free. Which means here's what's true about you if you follow Jesus, is you can be honest about your brokenness and your sin. You can be real about the painful moments in your life that have defined you for your whole life, and Jesus will set you free. And you can use that as your testimony and tell the story of the grace of God in your story. And that's the opportunity you have because this is what the woman did. And this is kind of our series title, right? She tried the world's story of finding life in other places, but the world failed her. And then she met Jesus and put her life in him, and she finally began to live. And the stories that we tell can be compared and contrasted with the story that Jesus tells. And the story that Jesus tells is that no matter what you've come in here with tonight, you are invited into the family of God. And there's no barrier, no barrier that can hold you back from that. And as I ask the worship band to come up, I'll kind of close out like this. Jesus will rewrite and redeem your story. And, and I think... As I read this text, one of the most beautifully profound moments in the entire Bible happens in John 19, where there's an explicit description of the cross. And, and some of you guys have walked in and thinking that Christianity is about morality, it's about being a good Christian, it's about having all your life together. This is the picture of our Savior. This is the picture of our King. He is on a cross, bloodied, naked, exposed. He's not the rabbi at the well anymore. He's the rabbi on the cross. And he's bleeding. And the second to last thing that he says on the cross is, I thirst. And here's something so beautiful about that moment. Is Jesus, who had the fullness of God dwelling within him, the one with living water, the one who had everything to give in a moment was emptied of everything so that you could live. And this is the gospel. It's not about you bringing water to Jesus. It's about Jesus bringing life into your soul. And on the cross, in John 19, he said, I thirst. Because everything was taken from him so that you could receive everything in himself. So whatever you've gone through in your life, any question that you've had, they can find their answers in Jesus. You were made to live. 
So would you just run to your maker tonight? Let me pray. Father, I want to live. I hate going back to the watering well. I hate giving my heart and my intention and life to things that don't matter, that don't satisfy my soul. I want to live. Jesus, thank you that in the midst of me pursuing dumb things to give my life to you, you said, I am he. I'm the one that you're looking for. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to look anywhere any longer, that as we leave this room, we can trust that you are the one that we've been looking for. You are the living water, the life that we need. Jesus, please, would you pump water into dead souls tonight? Would we not leave this place thinking that we can find life in any other place, but would we leave this place so utterly convinced that the king of the universe is with us in this moment? That we cannot be too far gone to be loved by the one who traversed heaven to earth to be with us. So we trust that, Jesus. We do. We're thankful for that. Amen. Soul Company, as we transition back into worship, I want to say one last thing to you. That if during that message, as you begin to listen to the story of Jesus, and you're like, hey, I want my story to be someone who finds their life in Jesus and not anything else. Jesus is here. He is that person you're looking for. So during worship, here's my call for you. If you have put your hope in Jesus for the first time, would you tell God that? Say, thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to go back to that stupid watering well anymore. I can go to you, that I was made to live and I want to run to my maker. Would you tell God that? And then come up to one of our staff. We would love to give you steps on what it looks like to live a fulfilling life with Jesus. So company, you are loved. Would you believe that as we worship?